Thank you for joining us to hear today's message. At Faith Assembly, our passion and purpose is loving people to life in Christ. To find out more information, visit our website, faithnewcumberland.com. All right, it's great to see everyone here today. We're going to jump into God's Word today. If you have your Bibles, grab them. If not, listen up or open your phones. You can read along there. There's a lot of great apps for your phone if you don't have a Bible. And the U version is an excellent one. Bible Gateway is another one. There's a, a variety of them out there. So you can follow along as we, as we go through the message today. We're t- teaching about the Bible, obviously. This is church. We are sitting in church, but not just teaching from the Bible, but wanting to help you understand God's word better so that when you read his word, which is the way we grow as, as Christians, we read his word, we pray, we, we seek his face, but helping you understand as you read his word, you know, because there's the Bible can be very intimidating. It's a big book. You know, there's lots of things going on, lots of stories and history. And so how do we understand the Bible? And so let's do a little review and then we'll get into uh, today's message. The Bible is the best-selling book of the year every year, all right? So that's just just that I love. It just... It's just hard to even comprehend. It's the best-selling book of the year every year. Every day, listen to this, every day in the, in the United States alone, 168,000 Bibles are sold. Okay, get that in your, in your brain. Every single day, 168,000 Bibles are sold just in the United States. That's over 61.3 million a year. Uh, so, you know, for me, that tells me there's not a Bible access problem. We, we all have access to a Bible. We can go to Walmart and buy a Bible. If you could buy something at Walmart, you know, it's legit, right? You know, you could buy spray for your hair. You know, I tried that out. Didn't really work. Or you can buy a Bible, you know, so there's, there's all kinds of stuff at Walmart, but 61.3 million. So people can get a Bible. But just because we have a Bible doesn't mean we read it, doesn't mean we understand it, doesn't mean we're obeying or applying it. So that's what this series is, is how do we understand God's word better? How can we make it more clear? How can we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us through his word? Here's a a brief definition of the Bible. The Bible is, and we worked through some of this last week, a collection of God's words of life for all people at all times. God's the Bible is a collection of God's words of life for all people at all times. It's a collection. It's not just one book. It's not just written by one person. It's a collection of his words. Variety of authors, Holy Spirit inspiring human authors to write down his words. So in the Bible there's there's narrative, there's stories, there's genealogies, there's a lot of poetry, you know, a lot more poetry than you can, than maybe you even thought of. Um, There's letters, there's prophetic, there's apocalyptic, there's all kinds of genres that you can learn and discover about in the Bible, which is really neat. It makes the Bible like just a variety of, it's a collection, it's like a library you can see it as. It's God's words, it's not human words or ideas, it's God's words. And they're words of life, okay? They're to bring life and hope to us, not death and despair. And a simple acrostic uh, to help us understand kind of the overarching message of God's word is this, L-I-F-E. Life is found in obedience to God, okay? So as you're reading his word, you understand foundationally that life is found 
as we obey God, okay? Throughout the scriptures, you see God speaking, and it's up to man if they're going to listen or not, you know? Sometimes they listen, but oftentimes they don't listen. So the next thing is, if we disobey God, there are consequences. You read through the Bible, and you see a lot of consequences that people dealt with. You know, they're kicked out of the promised land. They, they, you know, their marriage fell apart. Their, Their kingdom was split in two. All kinds of consequences, and if we stop there, then the Bible is just kind of really depressing. Like, yeah, I'll never measure up. You know, I'm making all kinds of bad choices. Letter F, forgiveness is made possible through Jesus. All right? The New Testament shines light on God's word. And it helps us to understand what God was doing, what he is doing, what he will do. God was was always at the beginning, Jesus was in the mind of God that he was going to need to send him. And we're going to look at that today. And so as we read his word, we understand that, yes, we fall short. Yes, we mess up. That's God telling us, yes, you are going to mess up, but I'm sending Jesus to forgive you, to cleanse you, to wash you. And letter E, every word from, from God draws us to Jesus, okay? So you read a story, you read something, and it's drawing our focus to Jesus, all right? It's, maybe it's making you aware of an inadequacy, an issue in your life, a problem, a situation. And the point of that is to draw your focus to the Lord Jesus. Jesus, would you help me? Jesus, thank you for being that perfect sacrifice for me. Jesus, help me to walk in freedom in this area. So if we read the Scripture and we miss Jesus, then we miss the point of Scripture. And throughout history, that has been a... You know, some people have read the Bible. They memorize the Bible more than probably many of us, but they've missed Jesus. And so it becomes a religious thing. It becomes something that can be even harmful to people. There's been a lot of bad decisions based on taking God's word out of context or not understanding that what, what, what Jesus was speaking through his word. So if we kind of understand some of these principles, it helps us to... The, the Bible to come a little more clear to us and become alive. So life is found in obedience to God. If we disobey God, there are consequences. Forgiveness is made possible through Jesus. And every word of God, word from God, draws us to Jesus. The last thing, part of that definition, the Bible's collection of God's words of life for all people at all times. And Something we, we spoke on for a few um, <clears throat> minutes last week was this, there's kind of two emphases in, in the scriptures, this historic emphasis that God's speaking about something, and then there's a prophetic emphasis, God's speaking into something. So as you read his word, understand what God's doing. And because <clears throat> people could say the Bible, those are old stories. That's ancient. That happened a long time ago. What does it have to do with my life today? And thank the Lord that Jesus is speaking into our situation. So it's historic. God's speaking about something that occurred, something that happened. But it's also prophetic. God's speaking into our situation. He's helping us to understand our lives. He's helping us to understand God more clearly and what that means for our lives. So let's take a, uh, an example of this. We want to look at the fall today. Life in the fall. Now, here's a very interesting story, probably maybe a story you heard even in school growing up, because it's kind of like one of those foundational narratives in civilizations. But uh, the Genesis fall story, the fall of man, is when man 
messed up, all right? How many have ever messed up? Can we just be honest today? Okay, I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, I've, I've messed up plenty in my lifetime. All right, so we read a story like this, and we can have a variety of reactions, okay? We can be kind of like that uh, self-righteous person and be like, how in the world could they have blown it like that, you know? There, this, the story is God creates this beautiful garden, this perfect place, and, and uh, you mean, Adam and Eve, he creates them, and they have everything they need, and, and God says, you can take part of anything in the garden, but don't take a part of this one single tree, and we read that story and say, how could they do that? How could they? They had the whole garden, but then we realize, man, there are so many times in my life you know, the blessings God's given me, but there's, there's always that one tree we get our focus on. We, we get our eye on this one thing God said you can't have. And sometimes our focus is only on that thing. It's like our kids. You tell them what they can't have. What do they want? They want the thing they can't have, right? Hey, kids, you can do with everything, but don't touch this hot stove. This stove is really hot. And what do they do? They're like bugs of the light, like, zzz, like, zzz, ah, it's kind of human nature, right? So let's look at the story of the fall, and let's actually look at the gospel, what God's speaking to our hearts, to our lives through this. Let's begin with this this life acrostic, letter L. Life is found in obedience to God. Genesis chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, you can just listen to me read to you this morning. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man... And put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This I find fast. I'll just pause here. I remember reading this years ago, and uh, that work was not a part of the curse. All right, we think work. I got to go to work today. Eh? Work is just an evil thing. It's something I got to get through. Work's not a part of the curse. They were working in the Garden of Eden. All right. Now, the toil and the labor and the effort was a part of the curse, and you can read that later. But I just, I just want to encourage you today. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you're like, man, I got to go to work. It's such a curse. No, work is a blessing. God's providing. It's not always easy. It can be difficult. And, you're, you know, we all have those days where you're like, well, maybe there's something else I should be doing. Or maybe, you know, and, but the work is, is a blessing. It's a gift from God. So Lord God took man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God, well, actually, let me, let me pause even further on the work idea. Cause we come across this in culture and society and even in our community a lot. Work is a blessing. There's actually, there can be a curse when we refuse to work. All right. When you're able to work and you refuse to work, we've seen it time and time again, there can be kind of almost that curse upon that person, whether it's, you know, and so I just encourage you, work is very important. You know, if, if you have people in your life who are working, encourage them. If they're not working, encourage them to work, okay? It's a productive thing. It's a, it's a good thing. It's something that's healthy for you. It's healthy for your family. It's healthy for your community. So that's just, I'll get off my soapbox, but I just felt, just need to say that today. So the Lord God took man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, okay? You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. 
Life is found in obedience to God. I was uh, working at uh, UPS a number of years ago, and uh, that felt like a curse. I felt that was evil. There was something evil about that, but it was just something, a season we had to go through, and and uh, God was providing through that way, and it was a blessing. But uh, I was able to to listen to the, the Bible when I was working, because it was one of those jobs where you don't really need your brain. It's Have you ever worked a job where you can just turn off your brain and, you know, just do the job? It's, you're almost like a robot, all right? So you're doing the same thing every day, all day. So I was able to listen. I was like, I have to do something. I can't just be a robot for, you know, hours a day. So I was like, I'm going to listen to the Bible. You know, I've read the Bible, but I've never really listened through the Bible. And it was fascinating because I had large chunks of time. So I could listen to multiple books of the Bible in a day. And I'm used to reading, you know, maybe a chapter, a few chapters a day and kind of seeing sections of what God's saying. But I was able to really hear, hear what God was doing. And so I'd read through the stories. And so I read through or listened to the Old Testament and just, you know, it was just a few weeks. And uh, this verse really stuck out to me. I said, I said, Holy Spirit, you know, what, if I were to boil, if you were to boil the whole Old Testament down, what, what one verse would, would you, would you summarize the Old Testament? And this, this verse really jumped out at me and it's, it's Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. It's this simple verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so that's why we begin this, this idea of what is God saying through his word? Well, it starts with obedience because all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, God's speaking something, but then it's up to us if we're going to act on it, if we're going to obey it, if we're going to you know, apply it to our lives. What did Jesus say in the New Testament? Those who hear my words and those who do them are like a wise man. They build their house on the rock. But those who hear my words and don't do them are like a foolish man. They built their house on the the sand and when the rains come, their house is wiped away. So life is found in obedience to God. So Adam and Eve, they're in this garden, they're in this paradise, but God speaks to them and God commands them. You can you can eat from any tree, but do not eat from this tree. In your life, Maybe just take a moment. What's that tree in your life? What's that tree that, that maybe the enemy has tempted you with? You have all these blessings from God. Maybe your family and your spouse and your kids and your grandkids. And, but there's this one tree. Maybe there's something specific that you've been wrestling with. And God's reminding you today, stay away from that tree. Stay away from that tree. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a substance. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's, it's a hang-up. It's something that was from your past, but maybe the enemy is trying to bring it into your present. Be reminded that life is found not in obedience to that tree, but in obedience to God. So Adam and Eve, they're faced with a decision. Genesis chapter 3, let's skip ahead. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now if you read the Bible and you don't think it has modern 
relevance or implications, then, then uh, you're not paying attention in the world today, okay? This, these statements happen so often in our, in our culture and society, okay? Just that phrase, did God really say? You know, think about how many times you've had conversations with someone or you take a stance on something and, and, you, and you say, well, God's word says this or the Bible says this. And someone's like, did God really, did God really mean that? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll agree with you. The Bible says that, but is that what God was really meaning? You know, is that really what God, is that the point that God was trying to, and if, if you're not careful, you can like, well, yeah, it says that, but maybe that's not what God meant. And well, maybe it, you, can, you can kind of distort things into it. That's what Satan was doing all right at the very beginning. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree and uh, trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat free, fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Well, did God say that? Did he say, don't touch the tree or you'll surely die? No, Eve's adding to his word. And God simply said, don't eat the fruit from that tree, right? Eve says, well, God said, don't even touch the tree. You stay away from that tree. That's probably wisdom. Don't touch it. Don't mess with it. But God just said, don't eat from the tree. You will not surely die, the serpent said. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That, that question, that phrase, verse four, you will not surely die, reminds me of my high school friends. <laughs> How many times they tempted me and like, oh, come on, you're not going to get in trouble. You're not, no one's ever going to find out. And it's like, all right. And sometimes you believe and sometimes you don't. And verse six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig trees, fig leaves together, and made coverings for themselves. That's significant there. What did they sew? It says they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Coverings for themselves. We'll look at that in a minute. Life is found in obedience to God. If we disobey God, you could say when we disobey God, there are consequences. And again, if we stop there, it's just another story of a bad outcome, a bad ending. Someone made a mistake. She ate the fruit. She disobeyed. But that's not the end. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is made possible through Jesus. Skip ahead to verse 9. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? But the Lord called to the man, where are you? I'd argue it's probably the first glimpse of grace that we see in the scripture. Because grace is grace when grace is needed. When there's rebellion and disobedience, it's that love of the Father 
for his children. He gave them a command. They disobeyed, and we learn a lot about God. How was he going to react? <laughs> How does God react when we fail him? How does he react when we sin, when we rebel, when we disobey? Well, he's, he's, he's looking for us. Where are you? Skip down to... Um, Sorry, I had this written down. Here we go, verse 10. I heard you in the garden, he said, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. The blame game, right? Then the Lord God said to this, what is this you have done? The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, and God begins to kind of call curses upon the serpent and the woman and the man and all this stuff that happens. But the man, the woman, they're hiding. They're in hiding. We see this so often today. God's trying to save people and people are trying to hide from God. Right? Church becomes a place where I can't go to church or I can't have a conversation about God and I can't bring it up and I just have to put that out of my life and my mind and people are running from God or trying to hide and cover their own sin up with their own fig leaves. And... But we see a glimpse of forgiveness. Genesis 3, let's look at verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The Lord God made garments of skin. What kind of garments did Adam and Eve try making? Fig leaves, right? That doesn't work out too well. But they made them for themselves to cover themselves, to hide themselves. God says, I'll make for you garments of skin and he clothed them. What's required to get a skin from something? You have to kill it, right? It's an animal skin. He had to slaughter an animal. What would have come out of the animal when he slaughtered the animal? Blood. I know it's kind of gory and but it was a it was a sacrifice. It was a slaughtering of a of an animal to cover the sins of somebody else. To remind you of anyone else that sacrificed and was slaughtered to cover the sins of someone else? It's a glimpse of Jesus, isn't it? Forgiveness is made possible through Jesus. So Adam and Eve, they disobey God. They're in the garden. They disobey his word. They're trying to hide. They're trying to cover themselves. And God says, where are you? And he covers them. He covers their sin. He, he covers them the way that was required. And the last thing is this, E. Every word from God draws us to Jesus. Let's look at verse 24 in Genesis chapter 3. So the result of this is Adam and Eve are 
kicked out of the garden, all right? God says, you know what? They can't take part of the tree of life, you know, if they have sin in their life and all this. So it says this in verse 24. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. To guard the way to the tree of life. As we're going to see in just a moment, Adam, in, in kind of biblical terms, is what we call a type or a shadow of a different Adam to come, a perfect Adam. His name is Jesus. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. And remember those images, Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden because God says they can't partake of the tree of life. Romans chapter 5, starting with verse 12. Paul says this. He makes this connection here, and he's teaching the church. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did. He was a pattern of the one to come. Adam was a pattern of the one to come. Verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass or the sin of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many sins and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one sin was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. And it says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So it's this, this parallel of the one man, Adam, his sin affected all of humanity, but the one man, Jesus, his righteousness affects all of humanity in a positive way. Every word from God draws us to Jesus. And then let's skip the last scripture today <clears throat> is found in the last book of the Bible, Revelation Chapter 21. 
and you can write these down and read this. I know we're, we're kind of flying through some of these. You can write these down and read, read and study them more when you get home. I just wrote part of Roman or read part of Romans chapter five, and I'm going to read pieces of Revelation 21 and 22. Revelation 21, starting with verse nine. <clears throat> One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Okay, the bride speaking of his church the bride of Christ, the church is referenced in throughout the New Testament, the wife of the lamb, the lamb being Jesus, that perfect sacrifice. Verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal, it had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with the twelve angels at the gates, on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates in the east, three on the north, three in the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Skipping to verse twenty-two. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So it's an image. It's a picture of eternity, of what heaven's going to be like, okay? Now let's look at verses 22 or chapter 22, starting with verse 1. Then the angel showed me, the river of the water of life. Okay, we didn't look at it, but in the Garden of Eden, there were rivers. There was rivers helping to bring uh, the water into the garden. And we see that in, in eternity as well, that the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street and the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations i love that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations continuing on no longer will there be any curse The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Skipping on to verse 12. Behold, Jesus says, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash the robes that they may 
have the right to what? The tree of life. It may go through the gates into the city. Let me read that again. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. It gives us that image back into the garden. God saw their sin and he brought a covering to them through the sacrifice of an animal requiring blood. There's a tree of life that they could no longer have access to. But one day, the tree of life, we will have access to. And it will be those who have their robes who have been washed in that lamb's blood, the blood of Jesus. When we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, he covers us. His blood covers and washes away the sin in our life that we can have access into his presence, into his life, and into his peace. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? Today, God's speaking through his word, the good news, the gospel, that Jesus came to forgive sinners just like you and me, that we're all just like Adam and Eve. We've walked away from God. We've disobeyed him. We've broken his commands. And we're in desperate need of his forgiveness, of his covering. There's times we try to hide, we try to cover ourselves, we try to cover over our own issues. And Jesus says, only I can cover, only I can forgive. Sometimes people medicate things. They say, well, if I could just get enough of this or do enough of that, or if I can drink enough of this and I just can forget about it. We try to hide. We try to cover ourselves. And Jesus says, only I can forgive. Only I can cover. Only I can give you access to life. If that's you and you say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I need your healing today. Would you just, in your heart, would you just, would you just ask him today, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I need you today. Jesus, I need your healing. Jesus, would you cover my sins? Would you cover my disobedience? Would you cover my rebellion? as we ask him to do that, as we turn away from those things, true repentance is turning away from those sins and walking towards Jesus so that the blood of Jesus covers and washes us as white as snow. He removes those sins from our hearts, from our lives. And one day we'll stand in his presence for all of eternity and there'll be a tree. There'll be a tree with leaves and those leaves will be for the healing of the nations. And we'll have access to that tree of life.
So Jesus, thank you for your life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name.